0: Okie dokie, a podcast for those addicted to the study of Scripture. Welcome, fellow addicts. This is your safe place to OD. Samuel!
1: Here I am. What are we going to talk about today? Today, for the final time, we are talking about the Gospels. Hey, this is Paul breaking in here. You know, we meant
0: it when we said it. We thought it was going to be one episode, but we had such great conversation while we were recording this one. We're actually going to end up editing this
1: into two episodes. So hope you enjoy it. This is Gospels Part 146, and it is the finale of our walkthrough, verse by verse, through all four Gospels simultaneously. I wow, thought Paul. this day would never come. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's um just we've got something to shake it up for this finale, so I'm just gonna make the recap really quick from last week. We saw the the reinstituting of Peter by the resurrected Jesus, where in the same way that Peter denied uh the master three times, Jesus affirms Peter's love for his master and his gospel his mission to have the world repent and return to him which would have been an incredible moment for him with probably all of the shame and guilt and weight of his you know lowest point of his life he could have made and God God through Messiah has given him yet another chance to pick himself up and continue to trust the story yeah, and then we ended with in the, the account of uh, Luke where no sorry Matthew and Mark where Jesus is appearing to the disciples on the mountain and it says that they were worshipping him yet some doubted so you still have this people are struggling even with the resurrected Jesus on what is what their eyes and ears are beholding in terms of this you could call it supernatural or true what true creation event is is meant to look like for our world and now we actually a whole time in silence we have had a guest <laughs> been waiting to to speak for the first time uh, please Uh-oh. welcome mr. Joshua Talent all the way from Seattle Washington Joshua Woo-hoo! welcome to the podcast yeah thanks for inviting me this is awesome We met Joshua during our trip to Israel back in March, and he is a passionate and lover of the Master and the Scriptures within a Jewish context, and we expressed mutual interest between the three of us for him to join us, and what better way than on the finale? Yeah, this is exciting. I'm very excited
2: to be with you guys, and you know, listening to the podcast, going going back and listening to a lot of the podcast, actually, I've been really enjoying uh, all the the approach that you guys take to the to the gospels. It's been really awesome.
0: Yeah, it's long winded. Hey, that's but fine. we're hoping that it's different enough that the right kind of people will really really get something out of it. I'm a long-winded person myself, so I understand completely. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, yeah. (laughs) You're you're talking to the master. Uh, Now, Samuel, all the things that you said about Joshua are true and awesome and wonderful, but the other thing is, you didn't mention, is he just knows a lot of stuff. Yeah. So we're hoping there's an opportunity to kind of pop the cork on some of that. We'll see. All right. So you guys ready to begin? Let's Let's do do it. it. All right. Well, we're picking up at Luke chapter 24. We're going to be reading verses 44 through 48. And you never know, I may call on one of you two to read one of these oh, here man. on this episode just to be different. But anyway, <laughs> I'll start this first one. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Okay, now actually, that was kind of wordy and whatnot. It seemed John-ish, but it was Luke. So let's see what we got going on in here. First, uh, maybe just as a get us like in the same arena here, Luke here, it kind of kind of reads as if Jesus and and this stuff that he's saying it, he's appearing in the room after the Emmaus guys came back to Jerusalem. So, so th- there's no real break there in Luke. So it feels a little bit weird considering all the other things that we've read about. But to be fair, in Luke, it also kind of hurriedly continues on to the fact that he ascends to heaven not long thereafter. So got to kind of take that with a grain of salt. He's just seemingly kind of tacking this on to the end real quick.
2: Yeah, I think one of the things that you uh, you see here is that the Gospels tend to – Luke goes too fast, John, like, has this whole other approach to it. There's a little bit of a disconnect about how the story continues, and I, I get the impression that they they obviously weren't sharing notes <laughs> about about right. what they wanted to say, necessarily. Uh, but we do know that the disciples after the Emmaus incident, you know, the Emmaus Road connection, they went back to the Galilee, because he had told them, go back to yeah. the Galilee. yeah and then we also know that they came back later to Jerusalem because when he ascended he ascended from the mount of olives so i right. had we have this uh, you know luke goes too fast but we know there's a lot more going on in behind the scenes for those 40
0: days yeah and we've struggled with this whole sequencing thing the entire the entire walk through the gospel sometimes it's easy to make sense of and other times man you just you just do your best that's yeah. it well, one of the things Jesus says is, these are my words, and, and Jesus is about to remind him of all that he's said over the last few years, uh, especially concerning things about his death and resurrection, and this, you know, this whole idea of reminding of his words has already happened a number of times, and so it seems kind of important. For example, Samuel, do you remember at the tomb, uh, he was talking, uh, I think it was the angels talking to the women, remember what he told you? Hmm. That was kind of a big deal. And even at the Emmaus walk, he he told them all things concerning himself. They didn't even know it was him. But all of it, it just seems like this whole reminding of what he said. It was it's in there somewhere. So ultimately, I think we have to see that his life, and of course, his death and resurrection, it was all a fulfillment of scripture. And when I say scripture, I'm meaning specifically what we would all probably Naturally, call the Old Testament. It was a fulfillment of all of that. But here's an important thing Samuel and Joshua don't want to leave you out. To fulfill a thing does not necessarily include the end of that thing, it could be ongoing. I was trying to think of an example from modern life. This is one my wife will appreciate. If I was a good husband one day, does that end? My obligations to my wife? Do I no longer have to do all of the things that make for a good husband? Well, no, of course not. I have to be a good husband daily, always, continually. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what's going on here. Jesus is the one living example of a human actually fulfilling the scripture. And in this case, I would be even more specific to say the Torah. And he is that so that we all can say, you know what? That is for me to fulfill too, in whatever way it applies to me. And, you know, this, this would include the wisdom behind all of the instruction, not just the literal instruction alone. So, yeah. And, and I would point out too that you know, this word fulfill
2: that is used here in Luke and is also used in quite a few other places in the Gospels and in the New Testament is um, it doesn't have that connotation of completion. The, the word is pluru, in uh, the, the root word is pluru or plurusai, depending on its uh, its use case. And it really means to fill up, right? To yeah, to, yeah. to fill from, you know, it's kind of half full, or to fill it, you know, more, put more into it. Actually, the same word is used in, in John chapter 12, verse 3, that it's describing the fragrance that Mary uh, of the, you know, when Mary poured the, the right. uh, anointing, anointing oil out and, you know, anointed the master. That that filling up of the room, yeah. uh, the fragrance filled the room, that same word pleru was used in that location as well. And it's also used in Matthew 5, 17, when Jesus says, don't think I came to abolish the Torah or the prophets. I didn't come to abolish, but to fulfill meaning to fill up to fill full yeah and then he goes on right after that and fills it up makes it <laughs> makes it harder you know and it goes into right. a lot more detail about the you know the depth of what god intended when he said don't murder you know you're also not supposed to hate in your heart because hating leads to murder right yeah. so this whole this whole depth of understanding That's what fulfill means, to fill full, not to complete or to do away with. or Because otherwise it would be like, well, don't think I came to abolish the law. I came to abolish the law.
0: Right. (laughs) You know. Yeah. And what's funny, Samuel, you've heard this, right? Uh, Because we've been to some fairly typical American evangelical churches. People will actually preach, and for all practical purposes, they, in fact, say that. He did not come to abolish. He came to abolish. Right. Yeah.
1: <laughs> it's yeah. crazy.
0: It really is. And the yeah. other thing
2: too, like you, I think it, talking about the you know, what he's saying here about the scriptures, about the, the quote-unquote Old Testament or the t- the Tanakh in the Hebrew, in the Hebrew tradition. There are actually a few places in the New Testament scriptures where the Torah and the prophets are referenced as source material for understanding the Messiah, right? He does yeah. it here in Luke. Yeah. Uh, another one is in Luke 24, uh, you know, in, we'll hear in Luke 24, 27, you know, beginning in Moses and the prophets, he explained to them all the things written about himself in the scriptures, right? Talking about, about the the guys on the road to Emmaus, right? But then, if you go forward, Paul actually does it twice, uh, or actually, well, three times. So in in Acts twenty four fourteen, Paul is giving his defense before the governor um, and before the Jewish people, who you now the Jewish leaders who had come to uh, to kind of accuse him in front of the governor. He says, "I confess to you, uh, Acts twenty four But I confess to you that in accordance with the way which they call a sect. Yeah. I do serve the God of our fathers, believing everything that is in accordance with the law and is written in the prophets, having a hope in God, which these men cherish themselves, that there shall certainly be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. So he references the same thing. He's saying, look, I'm following the Torah and the prophets and all of the, the teachings about the Messiah that are there. I'm uh, That's what I'm doing. And the sect that I follow, that's what we're doing as well. And then a couple of chapters later, he goes before king agrippa in acts 26 verses 22 and 23 it says so having obtained help from god i stand this day testifying both to small and great stating nothing but what the prophets and moses said was going to take place as to whether the messiah was to suffer and whether at first as first from the resurrection from of the dead he would proclaim light both to the jewish people and to the gentiles so again he's saying look from the prophets and from moses from the Torah, from the law, I am proclaiming this truth about the Messiah that I see in the Scriptures, Yeah. and then he gets to Rome, and when he when he arrives in Rome, he has this time that he sets up with the local Jewish community, and he's kind of concerned. He's like, "Hey, I don't know what's going to happen here. They may have heard that I'm a troublemaker. There, you know, it's you know, could be. I mean, it's been a couple of years since he was first arrested in Jerusalem, and so it." very easily could be a bad situation for him in Rome, and so right. he calls together the local Jewish community and he says, hey, I want to tell you you know, that I'm not a troublemaker, I'm, I'm just a, an, another Jew who believes these, you know, the Messiah has come, and they say, okay, well, let's set up a time, you can tell us what you think, we haven't heard anything bad about you, so we'll just, we'll listen to you, and so it, he does, and it says, when they set a day for Paul, people came to him at his lodging in large numbers, and he was explaining to them by solemnly testifying about the kingdom of God and trying to persuade them concerning Jesus both from the law of Moses and from the prophets from morning until evening and that's in acts 28:23 yeah so that's that's the point, right? That's when you're talking about how do we know who the Messiah is? How do we know what his work is? What what does it mean for the Messiah to come, to die, to be resurrected, for new life to be given to the rest of the world, for the nations, the Jewish, the non-Jewish peoples to come into the the, the kingdom of God and, and the nation of Israel in some in some mysterious way. You know that's it comes from the Torah it comes from the prophets yeah. and I, I suspect that it' will be hard for most of us believers today to explain the Messiah's work and give a defense for what we believe based just on those texts themselves right We would go to the New right. Testament and say oh, i'm going to read I'm going go to Romans i'm going to go to you know go read right. these things in other you know places I'll talk to uh, Paul talks about uh, the resurrection in first corinthians fifteen and i'll I'll go there, but really. That That's the basis of our belief. You know, we should be able to defend and understand the scriptures at that same level that Paul did and defend our faith based on what the Torah and the prophets
0: say. And the irony of all that is that all throughout the New Testament, when they want to somehow provide some sort of authority or validation for anything it is they're talking about or saying or whatever, what do they do? They quote the scripture, the Old yep. Testament scripture. It's, yeah. it's amazing. And yet we're, uh, as a culture, American Christian culture, we're quick to toss all that out. It's very funny. Yeah. Samuel, we're not anywhere near done on this little section. You got anything, buddy?
1: No, I'm along for the ride Saving going downhill <laughs> on the coaster right now, getting ready for a loopy loop.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I love this little part in here where he says he opened their minds to understand And I thought, you know, let's just make this easy for everybody. Go ahead and just keep breathing if you wish that could happen to you, right? (laughs) That that would be the greatest thing in the world. But something else that's important about that, after everything that we've been reading and studying all this time, they still needed this revelation. Mm -hmm. And that's so important. If you ever get down about you know, I don't know enough, or I wish I understood more, or, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever. Look, (laughs) these guys were in the best possible situation, and they still needed this little moment of revelation, supernatural, as far as I can tell. So, I mean, I don't know, it's a point of encouragement. But anyway, he goes back, and he says, thus it is written, and he talks about some things, and we got to stop for a second and go, well, it's not literally written anywhere specifically anyway, no single spot. We could go back and find little tidbits and kind of put it all together. But I think this is important just to understand. It is written in the general sense. It is unarguably the message of the scriptures. Generally God's Messiah. Well, he did need to suffer and die and rise on the third day. And the scripture speaks of it and they have all witnessed it. And well, still they're, they're getting the, the, the revealing of God and his Messiah and the plan, all of it. And I just think it's great. But here's, oh, Samuel, listen to this. The Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the, bit, from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed. Notice what it didn't say, Samuel. You want to? Would you like to repeat it or say it for us?
1: What did it the not say? Forgiveness for the repentance of sins.
0: Oh, <laughs> oh right. Yeah, I'm sorry. I, I was, wasn't thinking that way. You turned it around on me. That's good. I'm thinking that what do you hear when you go in most churches or when you're just talking to somebody who wants you to get born again because they think you're a heathen?
1: Oh, you just, you say the prayer, you confess, and... You're forgiven, and that's kind of it for you in terms of it's all that's required of you, so to speak
0: yeah yeah what they what they want to say is Jesus died on the cross for the forgiveness of sins, and it's not that that's entirely untrue, but it leaves out the really important part mm-hmm. repentance yeah. It wasn't that Jesus died on the cross that's important for you. What's important for you is that you understand repentance can now lead to forgiveness of sins. And this is important. See, we've blown it so bad in the church. Because of Jesus's work, we may now be truly and completely forgiven, even all the way down to our conscience. And that was not available before. That wasn't what our repentance ultimately could gain us. Jesus had to reopen the way. God had to do that work. But the requirement from the beginning has always been the same. It's, it, it's, it's never changed. Repentance. And I guess if you could manage it in the first place, obedience. Then there's no need mm-hmm. for repentance. But otherwise, this, this is so important that we just remember. Yeah, and this, this is the call of the prophets, right? I mean, in, when Messiah
2: comes <laughs> and he yep. says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he's he's you know, parroting what John said, you know, John the Immerser, right. or John the Baptist said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand but it's the same message that all the prophets came with as well repent yeah. so that god can keep you from going into exile right? right if you don't repent if you don't follow the torah that god has given you and if you don't you know turn away from the idolatry that you're you're uh, living in then you're going to go into exile and this is a bad thing and that's exactly the same thing that jesus came teaching he said to the jewish people in the first century hey I'm here. I'm the prophet that Moses spoke about, the one that, you know, he prophesied would come. I'm here. Listen to the call of repentance and turn from the the sin and the wickedness that you have change yeah. your hearts you know yeah. and accept the accept the messiah that's standing in front of you and if you do that then the repentance can lead to obedience and the obedience and the repentance together will lead to redemption
0: yeah it is what it seems like often happens is when somebody says something about hey you ought to be obedient you ought to repent you ought to obey torah my goodness if you're if you would ever say that out loud and everybody wants to push back with well It's not works-based salvation. You're trying to work your way into heaven. And it's funny because there does seem to be this symbiotic relationship. Our repentance, you know, like ultimately wouldn't have been effective because Messiah had not come and done his thing. But now that he has, that way has been opened. But the way isn't opened just because he did it. And now everybody just gets to go for the fact that you're a human. It's like these two work together. Because the way has been opened, your repentance is now effective. It, it I, It's just such a, it's a beautiful picture and people want to fight against it. But, you know, I like it. Yeah. Well, one last little bit, uh, and this is the last part I want to talk about, is he mentions that it's to all nations. And just looking back, you know, this is, it's like the promise from the garden. It's like the promise from Abraham. It is for all, Jew and Gentile alike, and we will see, eventually, I know it's going to end up on our podcast someday, Samuel, the book of Acts, if you were to go look there yourself, it does indeed begin in Jerusalem, and it works its way out to all the world, ultimately. And it's just a very consistent story if you're looking for the consistency. Yeah, it's what Paul says, too, right?
2: The the salvation comes first to the Jewish people and then to, to the nations, right? That Yeah. The redemption... You know, he he says that the the nation of Israel, from the nation of Israel, is where we receive the Messiah, right? Theirs are the covenants, theirs are the the promises, and and through them Messiah came. And it's important for us to remember there's a process. And when he says, you know, in his great commission, we'll get to here in a minute, that, you know, you shall go you shall go to you know from jerusalem to samaria you you shall go out that's a process and that he he wanted the disciples to start to expand their understanding of what the kingdom of heaven really looked like yeah
0: yeah Ah, it's just good stuff on a way you know now all of a sudden i am sad that this is going to be the end of the (laughs) gospels but yeah it's all right we still got a bit to go samuel anything
1: no i'm soaking it all in gentlemen all
0: right remember you have fans out there Going to be disappointed if you don't lay a little something down.
1: Let's see, my wife and my (laughs) mother-in-law.
0: That is not true. Yeah, there are people that really like you. They especially like uh, the two of us together because we're so different. But yeah, anything at all, dude. You you keep going here. Don't worry. All right, then let's go to the next bit. This is Matthew chapter twenty-eight, verses eighteen through twenty. And technically, we're only going to do the first half of verse twenty. And then uh, Mark chapter 16, verses 15 and 16. We're just going to go ahead and read both.
1: Samuel, why don't you go ahead and read Matthew for us? Sure. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you and behold I am with you always to the end of the age. Yeah and do you know what just go ahead and do that little
0: bit from Mark as well.
1: And he said to them go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Yeah. A collective ouch,
0: right? (laughs) All right, so so, uh, maybe, again, trying to get us thinking, right, Matthew, he has them up on a mountain in the Galilee. Mark, I don't know, I guess we technically don't know exactly where they are, but he has them all eating a meal together, and just as an additional reminder, this is that long ending that many believe has been added to the book of Mark that we're kind of taken with a grain of salt. So anyway, that kind of gets you some idea of who's talking about what, where, when. Now here, it starts with all authority. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And I, I I wanted to talk about this a little bit because it's very popular. People, they really want to remember this particular verse. They want to talk about this particular verse when they're talking about Jesus and his authority and all of that. But, you know, this has been spoken of throughout the Gospels. So I went and found a few examples. Samuel, I'm going to have you read these too. Matthew 11:27. 27, at least the snippet I got there. Mm-hmm. All things have been handed over to me by
1: my Father.
0: Yeah. So how about John uh,
1: 3:35: The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand." John 13:3 Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands: yeah, that was another snippet. Uh, John 17:2: "Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him yeah see can I have one? Oh, yeah, please. So I think this is
2: interesting, too, because when you when you understand that Messiah was given all of this authority, the the impact of his of his own suffering is what enacted that authority. And we have yeah. to go back to the beginning of the Gospels to see that in place. So, if we go back to Luke chapter 4, when he is encountering the adversary in the, in the wilderness after, oh. his, uh, after mm-hmm. his baptism, the adversary says to him, I will give you all this domain and its glory, for it has been handed over to me, and I yeah. give it to whomever I want. Therefore, if you worship me, it shall all be yours." But we know that you know Yeshua has been given authority over the entire world, and he he got that authority as a result of him being willing to not go the easy route, right? He could have right. said to the adversary, "Sure, yeah, I'll just I'll just worship you and then get the authority that's been that's been set aside for me, right? Yeah, I, it's my place, it's my right as the Son of God to be given that authority, and I could just go that easy route and not have to suffer."
0: I found but, an easier way, yeah,
2: pops. Yeah. <laughs> ah, but I don't. But but he didn't, and he said, "No, I'm going to suffer, and that's okay with me. Yeah. I'm going to suffer, and I'm going to die, and that's what's going to have to happen." But when in the end he's given the effect of that authority, and taking into a, taking that authority, he uses it to defeat death, right? right? To over to override even the thing that uh, that gave him the authority in the first place.
0: Yeah, yeah, and that's such an amazing picture of just god himself using yeah. his strength his abundance his i mean everything that you can think of every character of god using it for the benefit of others it just it's so incredible but in the end all of this points to uh samuel do you remember what jesus's favorite title for himself
1: was wasn't
0: it the son of man Yeah, Son of Man. Everything that we're talking about here is very Son of Man-esque. And that was one other one I had. Samuel, go back to Daniel chapter
1: 7, verses 13 and 14. Just listen to this. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Yeah. Now you take that verse now, after all that we've been through,
0: and then realize that all along the way, Jesus kept referring to himself as the son of man. And now you see this worked out. I mean, this isn't like the end, the end, but you know, this is a really important end point of the story, right? One part of it. It just, it's so amazing. What he was trying to communicate all along, and it almost makes you want to go back and go, all right, now that we've got all this under our belt, let's go back and read the Gospels and see if we can actually understand something, (laughs) right? It's so good. The thing, everything in heaven and everything in creation, I mean, obviously, except for, you know, God himself, whatever, the Father, everything is subject to Jesus's rule. And eventually, this is also kind of cool, kind of strange, kind of weird, whatever, Jesus is going to give it all back. And you can read about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 23 to 28. Now, this, all this authority, all this dominion, all this rule, we don't actually see it in its fullness yet. That's why people still question or they, ha- you know, they wonder about so many different things. That's spoken of as well in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 8. But he's got it. It's real. It's done. It's just like the kingdom. There's mm-hmm. sort of a now and not yet quality. The kingdom is now, and yet it's coming. And and we get a little foretaste and all that. So that's that's what's going on here. Yeah, and Paul talks about this too in
2: uh, Ephesians chapter two, uh, eighteen through twenty three. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart will be enlightened, so that you will know what is the what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of his, the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And what is the boundless greatness of his power toward us who believe these are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Messiah when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. And every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and made him head over all things to the congregation, which is his body. The fullness of Him who fills all in all, and I like that passage too because <laughs> yeah. that fullness of Him who fills all in all—that's that word pleru again, mm-hmm. right? It's oh
0: coming, yeah, yeah. Look at the you.
2: fullness, the fulfillment, right? The full filling, full. You know that word is there as well. And and Peter writes that you know Yeshua would ascend into heaven only after angels and authorities and powers had been subjected to Him in First yeah. Peter three twenty two. The, the apostles used Psalm eight. Constantly in their yeah. in their own teaching about as a proof of, of the master's exaltation and how uh, he was going to be given a, a position of authority in heaven, Psalm 8 talks about about the the Son of man in this in these you know, glowing words and and even the you know, writer of Hebrews interpreted the psalm to mean that God made Yeshua for a little while lower than the angels, but because of his suffering and death, he crowned him with glory and honor, right yeah. Yeah. This this whole idea, he's been given this authority, he's been given this, this special ability. And that's what the scriptures talk about when when he's saying, you know, all these things have to happen uh, and all these things are told about me in the scriptures. He's pointing back to things like Saul made, you know, right. and telling his disciples, hey, this is the truth. This is what's going on. What is the son of man that you care for him? You have made him a little lower than the angels yeah. and crowned him with glory and majesty. Right? Just for a little while, he was lower than the angels, but now he's been crowned with glory and majesty
0: see it's so good we just Mm -hmm. talked about they were getting that little uh this final revelation right Mm -hmm. they still needed that and you know you sort of connect that all together think of the entire new testament is them in some sense trying to relay that revelation to us yeah Yeah. (laughs) so it's good all right samuel you know this is one of our favorites he tells them to go therefore and do what Make a bunch of people say the sinner's prayer?
1: Yeah. Convert everybody. Yeah. <laughs> what do they need to do? Make disciples. Yeah. Make disciples. See, a
0: convert, it's, I don't know, you could, you could say it's nothing more than mental ascent. Now, obviously, Christianity has had quite an impact on the world. And, you know, all these conversions have led to a lot of really serious people, right? So you can't poo-poo the whole thing but we do kind of mess it up and make it too easy. Disciples are radical imitators. They internalize everything their master says. They practice everything their master does. And ultimately, they find a way to transmit everything that they've learned to other disciples. It's, it's thought, it's word, it's action. And Samuel who is our master? Yeshua. Yeah. We may learn from other people. That's important. Right? We're not we're mm-hmm. not in this thing alone, but ultimately our master is Jesus Himself.
2: Yeah. He tells us in Matthew 23, he says, Don't be don't do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher, and you are all brothers. Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one yeah. is your father who is in heaven. Do not be called leaders, because one is your leader. Uh, that is the Messiah. You know? yeah. So he is. When when we become disciples, we don't become disciples of the person who taught us. We come, become disciples of the person who teaches all. Right. right. The, the master himself, the Messiah himself. We're disciples of him, and that's if you go back far enough in the first century. You know the the believers in Messiah called themselves the Talmud Yeshua the 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 yeah. the disciples of Yeshua. Oh, that Yeshua. was like yes. yeah, all throughout the book of Acts, they use the disciples, the 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 concept of of the disciples of Yeshua as kind of an internal uh, name for themselves. They were called the Way and and Christian sure. by other peoples and uh, other places, but that's uh, their their own way of calling themselves was disciples of the Master. You know? Yeah, and and Yeshua, Jesus wasn't trying to make converts, like you said. His goal wasn't to, it wasn't about proselytizing, because right. proselytizing is just telling people to come over to my side. Right. It's more than that. Being a disciple is like you said, it's radical. It's a radical change in your life. You know, of your full time job becomes studying the words of your master, your teacher. Right. Yeah. Memorizing the, right. <laughs> the teachings of the of the of the master, you know, which I'm horrible at, by the way. <laughs> yeah, right. It's it's hard, but it's also yeah. like it's one of those things that when you when you look at the first century, discipleship in the first century was a very clearly defined role for a person. Yeshua goes out and finds these 12 guys who are going to be his full time disciples. They gave up everything. Because becoming a disciple of a rabbi was a big deal and you give up your livelihood and you, you know, you live off of what people give you and hope for the best. But your whole goal, your whole job is to memorize the words of your teacher, to walk alongside and see and imitate what the teacher does. There's this really funny story, you know, kind of conversation in the Talmud in Baruchot 62a. A couple of stories that the rabbis refer to. Uh, and they say, you know, they're kind of stories of different rabbis and their students, their their disciples, and kind of the disciples going a little bit too far in how they are trying to imitate their rabbi, trying to learn how oh. to imitate their rabbi, uh, took him maybe a little bit too seriously and, you know, going so far as to like follow their rabbi into the bathroom right, right. Uh, so <laughs> that they can, well, did he wipe with his left hand or- <laughs> <laughs> you know you know and those kinds of things yeah but that's that's the idea though they when they're confronted when the rabbi turns around and says what are you doing in here well i'm I'm supposed to learn, you know, and here's, here's what I'm learning about how to be a disciple, you know, being a disciple of you, how do I learn? That's kind of, it's a funny story, but really what it comes down to is that's what we're supposed to be doing with Yeshua, with Jesus, right? Our job is to memorize his words and, you know, to, if you think of, again, first century discipleship, it was all passed down orally, we we actually you know the book of Mark, uh, historically we know the book of Mark was a was written down by John Mark who was uh, following around Peter in Rome when Peter right. was there uh, teaching the community of faith in Rome and. Peter didn't write down the words himself and probably actually didn't even want to have them written down. It's potentially, you know, that, you know, John Mark was like, well, the people are asking for copies of this instead of having to hear Peter. What happens when Peter dies or what happens when he yeah. leaves? And and so they wanted these things written down so they could remember them themselves. And so he did. He wrote them down. And so that that's – but up until that point, everything – of all the teachings of the Master were just – orally transmitted. They were memorized by the disciples and then passed along to other disciples orally. And that oral transmission was the common way of passing down scripture and passing down the teachings. And you know, the Talmud itself, the, Mid, the Mishnah, which is the, the first part of the Talmud, the you know, earliest part of the Talmud, is the, the written down oral teachings that were right. passed down from about 200 years before Messiah until about 150, 200 years after. And it, what they weren't written down until two hundred years after, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, there's this there's this goal of okay, we need to bring all those oral teachings and put them on paper because if we don't, we're going to lose them because the Jewish people are dying, we're being killed and being exiled, and we have to actually you know maintain these things if we want to keep them. But that that oral tradition, we don't have that today. But in many ways, we should, right? As disciples, of the master, we should be going back and thinking, how can I memorize? How can I engage with the words of the master? Because that's how we internalize them. Yeah.
0: Well, we live in the era of the telephone game. Right. And so we look back at that and we're like, oh, that must have been horrible. So unreliable, whatever. But it wasn't. They were really good at it. Yeah there's a there's actually it's also the same
2: thing with the with the passing down of written scripture right if you uh, the dead sea scrolls we found mm, the dead sea scrolls in yes. 1948 and there's the isaiah scroll and a, a, actually a very large portion of the old testament of the tanakh was yeah. was found in in the caves there and a a really close examination of those texts found that 95% of the text was exactly the same as the earlier manuscripts we had which was like a thousand years later So the earliest manuscripts before the Dead Sea Scrolls were from about the 900s CE or AD. Dead Sea Scrolls come around, it's like almost a thousand years further back, and the text is almost exactly the same. And the differences, that 5 or 4% of differences, were spelling the word a little differently, you know, color with a U kind of situations. Yeah. Um, and uh, a couple of places where there's an obvious slip of the pen, where someone mistakenly, you know, there's a, there's a place, I think it's in Chronicles, where uh, the, the text kind of repeats itself. And until the Dead Sea Scrolls were found, we didn't know that there was actually a verse or two that had been skipped. Because Ah. the repetition uh, of the verse, apparently a scribe at some point had, you know, took a break or something and came back and thought they were a verse or two further down than they actually were. right? So that kind of little slip of the pen. But those are minor differences. Uh, But the disciples, they, they were memorizing these things and passing them along and telling the stories and keeping it alive. And that's also why we have such a consistency, even though the the, we have four different gospels, there's still a ton of consistency in the teaching. It's uh, you know, even John, there's still a ton of consistency compared to the synoptics.
0: Yeah, and and it again, it's back to all, all together, the disciples are supposed to be radical imitators of their master. And then mm-hmm. to bring that home, like to make it personal, what that means is we, you, samuel me joshua all of us everybody listening you should be like christ yep literally seriously stop laughing yeah
2: it's not just mental assent right 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 it's not just i i agree you're correct yeah, so no. let let me agree with you and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to uh, say that yeah, that's the right thing to believe. That's not discipleship. That's not, right. you know, believing in Messiah is not just believing that he was a good guy uh or believing even that he, you know, his death on the cross was efficacious. That's not what it means right. to believe. To right. believe is to become a disciple.
0: Yeah, if if and we always talk about this, Samuel and I, to believe if you really believe a thing, you are going to behave accordingly. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you really believe, you know, you're a kid and, and you think that something is wrong, you won't do it, even if your parents aren't home. But if you don't think it's wrong, you're only doing it because you remember your mom and dad said no, well, you might try to get away with it or, you know, whatever. Really, really believing a thing results in action. And another thing about this I wanted to point out is that this is for all nations. Again, mm-hmm. we said it before, it's Jew and Gentile. And this is actually Paul's focus all throughout his letters, which I think is just very misunderstood in Christianity in general, especially in America. Israel isn't being left out of this story. They are being added to but they're not being added to by legal conversion to Israel. It's not like everybody now becomes Jewish. They're being added by faith, a faith that is like Abraham's, who, you know, kind of sort of preceded Israel. We, we can think of it that way. So now in the text, how do we make a disciple? Well, we have to baptize them and teach them and that whole connection to the jewish people being uh, expanded by the
2: nations you know this whole idea that the nations would come in is straight from isaiah yeah. Right. Isaiah forty nine six, uh God says it's too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and restore the protected ones of Israel. I will also make you a light to the nations, so that my salvation can reach the ends of the earth. Yeah. This is a prophecy that is fulfilled in the coming of Messiah and the giving of discipleship to those of us who are of the nations, right? We right. were given this opportunity to join with the Jewish people to come alongside God's chosen people and say, I want to go with you because God is with you. That's that's the the beauty of the of the Kingdom of heaven is that it is open to all people regardless yeah. of of where we came from in the past,
1: yeah, and it's the fulfillment of God's original promise to the first patriarch Abraham, where he says, mm-hmm. I'm gonna make you your descendants a great nation, and then all nations of the earth are going to be blessed through you like that mm-hmm. scene." Yeah. Disciples of all nations being made is a fulfillment of that promise that God made to Abraham in Genesis. Yeah. Yeah.
0: The Jews were not chosen to be the only people saved. The Jews were chosen to be the conduit through which all people are saved. Mm -hmm. So. A light to the nations. Yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah. We always end up talking about the grafted in for divine, you know, all that, because that's the part people relate to anyway. New Testament. All right. So, baptizing and teaching, this baptizing in the name. Now, part of being legally converted to uh Israel, you know, becoming an Israeli citizen, becoming Jewish, whatever you want to call it, included baptism. And that's kind of relevant, but not exactly the same. Uh rather than being baptized as in some part of conversion into the nation of Israel, it was conversion into this new kingdom. So I'm, I'm going to challenge you on this one just okay. a little bit.
2: Just just uh, just poke a little bit on on that and see <laughs> if see if something else comes out. All right. So in the, in the days of the Master, when you were baptized in the, into the name of someone, it, it really meant to be inducted into their school of discipleship. Yeah, you know, it wasn't it wasn't just about like the baptism wasn't connected just to conversion. Um, oh, true. Yeah. Baptism immersion, actually just immersion in water, is symbolic of a state change. Right. And there's some sort yeah. of change that's happening um, that the initially that state change, if you go back into into the Torah, the main main state change was from unclean to clean right from ritually right. impure to ritually pure from being able to go into the tabernacle and offer a sacrifice to you know from not being able to to being able to right being able to stand in the presence of of the the one true god required a level of ritual purity uh, requires i should say a, ritua- a level of ritual purity that is uh, that god requires in the in the scriptures There's also that state change from being a Gentile, a non-Jew to being a Jew, right? From being uh, not part of the chosen people of God to being part of the chosen people of God. That's a, that's a state change. There's also the state change that John brings is the, from unrepentant to repentant. Right yep. this is a, yep. a state change of repentance from unbeliever to believer so I, I I just I don't like the word convert because that's there's a lot of historical connotations for that in christian and especially Christian Jewish relations there's a lot of uh, a lot of history behind that word being used uh, kind of to you know beat on people's heads uh, right. the, you know, coming, right. coming to faith, but it's a state change for us and even if you go back you know look at the people of Israel coming out of Egypt. When they walked through the waters of the Red Sea, even though they didn't get wet, (laughs) they still were going through living water through the water, and there was a state change from a people that were not free to a people that were free. Yeah, right. And that state change of of you know the the waters of immersion is actually used by the uh, later by the prophets and, and in the New Testament. So this idea of baptism when we baptize into the name of messiah when we baptize into the father son and spirit it's it's a state change for us from being one who doesn't follow the god of israel to one who does, from yeah. one who has not been repentant before the God of the world, uh, to one who is repentant, and that's a that's a, a change that is necessary for all people, regardless of whether you're Jew or Gentile, uh, and even regardless of whether you are, you know, you grew up in a Christian home or grew up in a believing home or didn't. Right? This is this is a state change that happens individually in every single person.
0: Yeah, actually, I, th- that didn't feel like pushback at all, and. <laughs> Maybe it's, uh, I don't know, semantics or perspective or whatever. I I actually feel like we're saying the exact same thing. Now, okay, I get the word conversion. That's a good point. Uh, what I was going for here is just talking about how, oh, well, now, some people like to think of, when they're thinking about baptism, they remember conversion into the nation of Israel. And so I was offering, you know, sort of the opposite. Oh, it's more like conversion into the kingdom. We know that uh, immersion was for purity. And and this, you know, represents a, a, a baptism of repentance. You mentioned John, same kind of thing. It was uh, into Jesus or into the name of Jesus or whatever. In one sense, he was the living water. You could take that a little more literally, into Jesus type thing. Mm-hmm. Or you could just go, hey, it's, it's like a union of sorts. So that's all really good. And I can't, I already can't remember if you mentioned this or not. Baptism, it, it represented that idea of death and then new life right mm-hmm. and so we see all of that in there. all of this is included in this whole baptizing them in the name and well there's uh, and the one that we think of today i think is it's like that public uh, representation i i'm being associated with the name there's sort of a a professed dependence or devotion something like that so i i I don't know. I feel like yeah. you were talking and I'm just going, yeah, yeah, yeah. So
2: it's all yeah, good. I'm just it's poking a little bit maybe yeah. and not necessarily disagreeing. Yeah, I, I, do, I do think as well it's really interesting this uh, about being uh, – about the name specifically, right? Because yeah. we're, we're t- Yeshua says baptizing them in the name of the Father, yeah. Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, the word in the Greek there in Matthew is the word Ace. Uh, it, there's two words in, in Koine Greek that can be used for the word in, you know, as in going in, in something. Um, but in this case, he uses the word ace, which actually means into. Yeah. There's a different word in, in Koine Greek, en, which actually means going in. En right. <laughs> means <laughs> in. Um, so if you translate this in Matthew, um, it, it says baptizing them into the name. not in the name. And Dr. David Stern uh, of blessed memory, who was a a translator of the complete Jewish Bible. um, He makes the case in his commentary that it's better translated as immersing them into the reality of the father, son and spirit.
1: Mm. And
2: he takes it even kind of into this kind of deeper mystical way in a sense almost of, you know, we're, we're, when we're immersed into Messiah, we're immersed into the reality, the truth of who he truly is. Um, yeah. We've taken this in the Christian world. we've you know kind of turned it into a, a formula, right right. Baptizing you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit, you know, there's almost an incantation quality mm-hmm. right, to it sometimes right. in our in our in our practice, which isn't necessarily bad. I mean, I, I, I think it's important for us to have ritual and for us to understand what those rituals mean. Yeah. So the the ritual is good, but the uh, I think the problem is when we don't remember that this is being baptized into the name of God, into the name of the Son, into the name of the Spirit. Uh, that's a special change in status. It's a special yeah. change of state that you're being given now being having the name of god put on you even right yeah. taking on the name of god like a cloak and and being given this opportunity to be a disciple of the master so we're immersed uh, we're immer- immersing a repentant person a new disciple into the reality of discipleship the reality of what they're joining the reality of the one true god the reality of his son the messiah the reality of his spirit his essence that that immersion is an immersion of your entire life into a reality that you didn't have before. Yeah, That's a change in state.
0: Ah, See, that's so good. And you reminded me of just one other little thing, and then I'll shut up. His name is, we could also talk about that as like his his character, his nature, mm-hmm. his reputation, you know, those mm-hmm. kind of words. And wow, when you think about I'm being baptized into that, that whole concept of blaspheming the name or, you know, any of those things. Whoo! that's big, heavy stuff. That's for people with strong constitutions like Samuel. (laughs) (laughs) Right. That's right. One other little bit, the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And and I just love that. I mean, you can see it right here. It's three. I mean, it says into the name of, it's three, and yet it's one. And, and, you know, in, in Judaism, the response would be to go back to, yes, God is one. I mean, I know they don't like the Trinity idea, but whatever. They go back to God as one. And then of course for modern Christianity, the popular thing would be to run to the Trinity. Oh yeah, see, they're all three there. They're all together. And you know what? I'm just kind of a both kind of guy. It's it's they're both great. Whatever. I'm gonna I'm gonna throw something in here and,
2: and just let your listeners uh go look up the ten Sefirot. Just go look at the <laughs> the emanations, the the Sephirot of god and how how god reveals himself in the world how do you spell that bit.
0: yeah i was S- just gonna say for our <laughs> listeners you
2: better spell it s-c-f-i-r-o-t <laughs> uh, you'll go down a you'll go down a very mystical path there and there's probably wait don't look it up online maybe i should <laughs> maybe i should find a book and not, and recommend it but the uh, but yeah. the the concept of god having you know ways of expressing himself to humankind he's he's ineffable right he's beyond our comprehension yeah uh, in in the zohars he's described as the ain Sof, uh, that which has no end right the there's this this concept that it, it's deeper right that we right. can't understand god truly and so he right. reveals himself to us and in very specific ways and those ways are described in the scriptures but anyway, there's there's this concept of God revealing himself through the through the emanations. Uh the stuff he wrote that he emanates of himself. Anyway, so I'll, uh, I'll leave it there.
0: There you go. That's your homework. <laughs> Better get busy. And hey, this is Paul jumping in again. I think we're just gonna go ahead and end or split this episode right here, and I'll kinda tack a normal ending on here. You
1: may as well go ahead and say it along with Samuel. Okie dokie. Oh! Thank you for listening to the Okidokimos podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Be sure to leave us a five star rating and a review to let us know how this content is impacting your life. You can find out more information about the podcast at www.okidokimos.com. And if you'd like to get a hold of us, please send us an email at okidokimos at gmail.com. And until next time, we pray that you will do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. We'll talk to you again soon.